Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie and Ray, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Now, quick question, Ray. Are you on the email list? I'm certainly on the email list, Grant. Ah, I knew it. <laughs> now, if you're listening to this and you're not on the email list, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and get notified every single time we drop one of these episodes. Charlie actually does really good emails. Just put it out there. I enjoy reading them. Now, before I screw this up, Charlie, let's cue your disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant and Ray, I'm very excited for this episode and I'm going to share with you why I'm excited for this episode. One of the things that has happened and I suspect happening to many others out there in the business world is you work really hard for a duration of time and you actually start to build up a bit of a nest egg, Yeah, you know, a bit of a net worth. Yeah, And then for many of us, we're drawn to the idea of being able to pass something onto our kids and start a lineage, a lineage, sorry, or a legacy. However, I've realized very, very quickly, I have no idea how to do that, (laughs) none at all. And even worse than that is when I go and look into Facebook groups about succession planning, which of course we know is the center of truth on the internet. Totally. Yeah. And reliable too. Yeah, (laughs) and accurate. Super accurate. So accurate. Best advice. And as I started reading some of the horror stories and some of the things that have happened And then not only that, the opinions of people that then conclude I'll probably wreck my children by giving them money like because they won't have any drive in them. I was like, this topic's getting deep really quick and I don't know anything. Hang on a second. I know Ray. And Ray (laughs) knows stuff on this topic. So we are bringing Ray on the podcast today to talk about succession planning. Now, for those of us that do plan on passing on our wealth, whether it's to children, whether it's to charities, whether it's to anyone – This episode, I think, is going to be particularly helpful, particularly helpful. So, Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you, For those that don't know, Ray is the lead financial planner for Riker Capital. And I'm just going to say, all-round genius when it comes to this. We actually lost about 20 minutes this morning as Ray said (laughs) things were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can do that as well? (laughs) Well, investment mind? What's that? that? (laughs) So, it's very, very exciting. So, welcome back to the show, Ray. How are you doing? Thank you, guys. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Look, happy new year, firstly, and thank you for having me on the on the podcast today. Look, estate planning and succession planning is uh, one of the most asked about topics from our customers. So, I am glad that we are talking about this, and it's very important for business owners or individuals to have a plan um, and what succession planning looks for them looks like for them individually um, or as a business. And guys, I was looking at one of these statistics, which absolutely amazes me. By 2025, approximately $1 trillion will be passed on to the next generation and about $3.5 trillion by 2035. That is Hold huge. Up. Grant, how much of this $1 and $3.5 trillion do you think you're getting? <laughs> <laughs> um, that you know, is still huge. Mind, yeah, my, my mind was sitting there going, damn, I wonder if I could be adopted multiple times, <laughs> like have like 10 dads. Because I'm happy to be that guy. I will hyphen my last name as many times as you want. <laughs> This would have to be because of the boomers 
retiring or that or generation of such a large mass of people totally. with assets retiring. Correct, or giving the children um, the um, the assets early on. So the, either or. So it could be other people passing away or giving away the assets to the kids. Fantastic. Well, then this is very timely. Not only are we going to be thinking about passing on our own wealth, but how we may be receiving that from parents as well, Grant. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> And it's important for a person passing on the wealth and person receiving it. It's a massive financial decision. It brings its own challenges. And how do you manage that wealth? Uh, Look, obviously, this is done best in conjunction with a financial advisor, accountants, and and lawyers. Now, I concur on that. As I've done some research on this, I have come to the conclusion this is not like being a home cook and a chef. No. Right, it's not the type of thing you just want to haphazard in your own kitchen. No. I am of the view you absolutely want to get – in touch and in contact with people who are qualified and have experience with this stuff. Yeah. Because I can only imagine as we get into this episode, there are some complexity of layers and it would be very easy for someone to make a very expensive and time costly mistake here. Absolutely. So, Ray, I'm going to lead into our first question on this. Yeah. Where and when should someone start with succession planning? Look, as as far as just start, uh, best place to uh, start is talking about your strategy with your advisor first at any stage of your life. As advisor, we usually say, as soon as you're 18, you're earning an income, you have form of an assets, you just got to think steps ahead of time and, and, and in the event of uh, of one's passing away, you've got to think about planning out your super, your life insurances or any other assets that uh, flow on smoothly to the people that you've chosen to be your beneficiary. So when a person dies without having making any preparations of their assets, uh, they may be fought over, frozen, subject to fees, penalties, or it, it will chip away at their asset value. So with deliberate financial planning, there are many ways to transfer the world to your loved ones. Now, I suspect many of us, not naming anyone on this podcast <laughs> particularly, didn't do that at 18. Yeah. And potentially didn't do that at 30 either. So we may find ourselves in positions where we have assets and forms of wealth which we aren't set up for. Yeah. It sounds like this should move up the priority list to a degree then. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned there just some very real things with um, what can happen if you don't do this. And I think that's a really important thing. That is one of the highlighted uh, things that came to my attention in research was just the difference between someone who is planned and unplanned. Yeah. It can be the difference between passing on, let's say, 70% of your wealth and even down to 40% of your wealth in some circumstances yeah. just through uh, not understanding things. The next part of that question, though, is like how do you even go about with the where to start with it? What are the types of considerations we need to make? Well, there are a few. I mean, like there is a few considerations you need to start thinking about or start jotting them down. Um, first thing first, you've got to think about the beneficiaries. Who are these people? They typically, for a normal person, will be your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your friends or your family members, um, or charities perhaps. Um, once you've noted them, you need to look at any of these people are going to help you carry out those wishes. That's the second part that needs to be worked out. Then who will be the executor, the trustee, the guardian or the agent or any other decision maker in that part of the process? So, typically- so let's pause there for a second. Mm-hmm. Who are those people? Like is this, like for example, is this you would appoint a one of your kids to be the uh, guardian or is this uh, a paid role where you go, all right, it's actually my accountant and a lawyer who fulfill this role? It could be both. both. It could be both. But the, typically if you can look at executives, the person who's nominated in your will typically and has the authority to administra- administer your will, 
uh, or your deceased estate after the person's passed away. It will be their responsibility to apply for probate, collate your assets, pay for your funeral expenses, distribute the balances to your beneficiaries. Um, also, typically, executive will um, then instruct a lawyer who specialises in probate and estate administration to assist him. Now, you can have more executors, or you can they can be known, uh, they can be named jointly. Pardon me. So, right, well, I just want to break this down because uh, you've gone straight for the jugular here, Ray, and I love <laughs> you for that. But I want to make sure we convey this well because even for Grant and I, as to what you said, and yes, I'm going to speak for you, Grant. Yeah, I know. I figured that one. <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. Well, I'll just speak <laughs> to me then. Why not? <laughs> I'm just here. I'm part of the audience. I'll just applause when you flash the light. <laughs> so first, first things first is deciding who we want to pass things down yep. to. Yep. Step uh, number two is going to be what we actually want to pass down to them. Yep. And I find that point really interesting in itself because at 30, that's going to be very different than at 60 just on the basis of what someone may own. Yep. So you may uh, end up buying property later in life that then needs to be added too. So in that as well, this is why wills would need to be kept up to date yep. and executors up to date as well. Yep. Then step three is you're going to have to form a, I'm going to call it almost like a a panel or a group of people here that then become the people who execute this. Absolutely. And you've mentioned, uh, what was it called again? An executor? executor? Executor. Executor. I like executor better. Can we get that worked on? <laughs> that's it. That's executors now. It's a, I, although I don't feel sides. like that's appropriate naming <laughs> for when someone's that's passed fine, away. I was the executor. It's burnt in. <laughs> <laughs> then there's potentially a legal specialist, so yeah. someone who can take care of that, likely an accountant, as well, is going to fall into that. Is there anyone else that would be on this team? Oh, look, uh, you'll have a guardian. If you have minor children under the age of 18, then you can nominate in your will someone who you trust to act as a guardian in case uh, both the parents have died um, before the kids attain their share. Then you'll have your power of attorney. Um, you know, uh, if you lose the ability to make decisions in the event of an illness, sickness, uh, then you create a document called the enduring power of attorney in which you appoint one or more trusted people to act on your behalf and make decisions and sign documents for you at a legal or financial capacity. This is is it interesting. Charlie, have you ever been or are you an I'm gonna call it an executor now, an, ex, <laughs> an ex, ex, executor. I'll stick with it. On anybody's sort of succession plan. No. And I'll go further than that. I feel like everyone in my life is going with the, I'm going to spend every cent I've got before I pass on so that I don't have to deal with these things. So I've never been exposed to this type of strategy. Yeah. So I have seen it go wrong though. When my grandfather passed um, and he had seven kids, right, they basically came over to the house and just ransacked it. Yeah. Like yeah, I saw right. this really, really interesting thing go on where basically it was like a fight for possessions. Right. And I- uh, Again, I'm not going to take sides or look at how people viewed who owned what or was entitled to what, but I can absolutely see how if this isn't governed well, it could lead to some pretty unexpected consequences. Yeah. I think he would have bet heavily that kids would have behaved more civilly. I, I think I think that that's most people. Funnily enough, so my grandma brought all of her daughters in with like different colored stickers to put stickers on what they want. <laughs> and so now there's every item. Amazing. That is so, so good. Show. I love that. <laughs> so they all came over with like little stickers. And just, all right, now you know what you're getting. Um, but I am an executor on uh, someone's succession plan. And the thing that fascinated me, Ray, was I didn't actually see the assets. I don't know what the assets are. I don't know what they've defined as splitting out. I just got told, like, hey, just letting you know, you're an executor on this estate. And I'm like, 
do I need to know anything else? Nope. <laughs> no, like when- I'm surprised you do actually because that is ultimately your role to collate the assets and uh, and work this- that out and pay taxes on them and uh, and you'd be the one typically passing down to the beneficiaries. Yeah, hence my surprise. <laughs> it was like you're on a document that I've never seen. <laughs> now, Ray, I'd love to jump on on this next point here because you highlighted some of this in our show prep, which I think is really interesting. Hmm. And just the some of the decisions you make and the effect they can have on things like how things are taxed or when they're taxed yep. or what you pass things on. What I'd love for you to do an overview of is just the different ways things can be passed on and just some of the pros and cons or implications. Now, I'm going to frame this one up as well. Ray is a financial planner. He's not a lawyer (laughs) nor an accountant. So we are going to be broad on terms and please no one take legal or accounting advice from anything said. Well, in this entire episode. So we'll frame it up. I've got an extra disclaimer on here for you, Ray. No, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Lay it down. We'll keep your license in check. Don't worry. Screw you, Asi. <laughs> um, okay. So, guys, I think it's a very loaded question, firstly. I think we'll be here for a while talking about it. Um, but, look, where do you start? Look, um, there, there, there um, list, Look, obviously, I'd like to talk about, you know, is there a such thing as inheritance or death tax? I think most people sort of, um, you know, have this question in mind. Or this is one of the questions that we get all the time going, is there an inheritance tax? Um, now, the, uh, inheritance or debt tax in any of its states or territories, meaning that n- that the net total of deceased estate is left untouched under the law. However, there are still tax obligations that may apply depending on person's situation. So planning this out with your financial advisor, your lawyer, and your accountant is a key situation or scenario. So let's start with the property first. So there is no tax if you receive property as a part of inheritance. However, if later on you sell or dispose of it, you need to consider CGT. That may apply. Hold up right there. Mm-hmm. Pause right there. Mm-hmm. Do they only play CD- CGT on the part that, since they've inherited or the whole thing? The whole thing, depending. It all depends on whether it's supposed to pre-CGT date, which is 20th of September 1985. <sighs> oh, well, we're past that. So <laughs> I doubt that for a lot of people. So if Charlie's bought a house, just to use an example, for a million dollars, and then by the time he passes it on to Jack, it's worth $10 million, mm-hmm. and then he sells it when it's worth $20 million, yeah. he would pay CGT from the million. So selling inherited assets within two years of the deceased, the deceased passing. So that's the rule that you got to think about. So if you sell the asset um, within the f- two years of deceased passing, there's also choosing to use property as your main residence if you're a dependent. So there are the two ways of dealing with the property that you've inherited that don't involve CGT. So those interesting. Are the two so if you plan scenarios. to live in it, that's an interesting yeah. one there. I could yeah. totally get that because there'd be families out there with like almost like property heirlooms where yep. it's a house has been in the family for years and they're going to keep they, it. And they want to continue on. Yep. Does that ruling also apply to things like, and I'm going to say things like shares? Would the same thing be applied with capital gains tax or is that a differently treated asset? Again, this is where also the similar sort of structure applies, right? So, um, again, the the pre and the post-CGT component. Inheriting shares from your loved ones does not mean that you have an immediate tax consequences uh, when the shares are passed on to the beneficiary of the executor or from the executor to the beneficiary. Um, This just means that if you inherit shares, the capital gain tax is disregarded at the date until you inherit them and you will only pay capital gain tax again if when you dispose the shares. Okay. 
And in, oh, yeah. any income that was to come from that, so rent or dividends, that would just then be taxed at the person's name. At the name, person's marginal tax their, rate. Oh, yep. yeah. That's the one I meant to yeah. say. Yeah. Now to Ray. <laughs> All right, so that's from an asset point of view that's a really interesting one. So that's that's an interesting pro or con straight up there. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Do you know that, Grant? No, no, not at all, not at all. Seeing as though I try and push everything into trust. <laughs> <laughs> now, cash yeah. is another simple one. I'm like, you know, if you simply give cash to the family member, there are no tax implications for either the giver or the receiver as a gift, receiver of the gift, as long as it's made for personal reasons and it's not connected to Givers income producing activities, neither party will be taxed. Uh, what are the ones that would be taxed then? So it seems direct assets and cash aren't taxed uh, directly at the point of transfer. It's only on sale. Businesses. Are there any that we, others we need to be aware of? So obviously another t- key consideration if the um, if the families were to inherit businesses. Now obviously this is where the tax part will come in. Again, it, it is a little bit of a complicated structure, but passing down a business or a succession planning for the family, look, that has a number of factors that could impact uh, decision to pass on the business onto the next generation. And if you intend to pass your business down to the family tree, there is a n- number of tax financial considerations that need to be taken for successful succession. There's there's a variety of CGT events that may come in, fuel tax credits, excise duty. Um, so obviously you've got to consult the ATF if you if you're eligible for any tax concessions, you got to have the documents or um, business restructuring operations and the and the tax impact in the succession plan. Um, so, if, so I'm, I just want to jump in here. I just want to run through a, just a quick scenario. Mm-hmm. So imagine that I own a business. I've got a physical office that the business runs out of that mm-hmm. might be worth a million dollars. No debt. Just imagine that that exists. Yep. I might have a million dollars worth of stock and I might have some employees. Now, I'm the only owner, mm-hmm. I pass away, mm-hmm. and I've got one child, and that child inherits that business. The tax gets triggered off on the value of the building, on the value of the stock, and the income? Like, how does that work? Everything. So, there's the, the tax will be then inherently based upon the valuation of the business as to what is the oh, value wow. of that stock uh, as well as the value of the business. <gasps> who, wait, who values the business? There's business values. Get out. So all my software company. <laughs> <laughs> don't die, don't die, don't die, don't all die. Right, so just a <laughs> suggestion here, Ray, and I know you can't tell me if this is right or wrong, but this is very much at a point if you knew this, you may elect to extract profit from your business pre-passing and putting and in assets that could it, potentially be passed on in a more tax-effective manner exactly. versus just have everything, everything in a business. Exactly. So this is where you would sort of sit down with your lawyer or your financial planner or accountant sort of start to plan the succession or map out the succession planning on how you would pass on the assets. Maybe this is why every kid doesn't want their fa- their parents' business because <laughs> they're like, what do you want me to do, pay tax on all this? <laughs> No. Just in this example, I could very much see that if a business was, let's say, not in its finest shape when this happened, hmm. which could happen, right? Someone's yeah. in, maybe they're drinking a lot in their 60s and playing a lot of golf, not running their business very well, or 70s really, right? Like hmm. getting it long in the tooth. Business, you know, don't run it like they used to. If they were to pass and then pass on this business, that could be the very thing that actually bankrupts it. It, it could, could be the very right. thing that actually ends it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's why it's, I think it's like I mentioned before. I think to have a succession plan, um, to to I think to, the first thing would be to sort of talk to your kids openly about: Do they want to be part of the business? Do they want to well, run that business? So my my question is like: 
do they have a choice? So imagine that my parents have got a business that they like, cool, Grant is the one that gets this. Can I go, no? Can I be like, no, I don't want it. And then any debt that sits on that business just has to deal with them. Or the second that they say that I am the one that receives it, I have no choice but to receive it. Well, if you are the ultimate beneficiary of it, you also have the responsibility of paying down that debt. (laughs) (laughs) So you could give your kids a landmine. (laughs) (laughs) You could. Usually, again, this is very well. You'd be a thought out, planned out process. It's not that you're just going to pass down a landmine. To Ray, I, this is I'm, one of those things where I think you're thinking better of society in general I'm, than they are. I'm I suspect villas. there's a lot of landmines out there. Yeah, I'm buying villas. I'm buying everything. <laughs> that debt ain't mine, Charlie. My kids better be set up. Right, I just want to recap on this point. I find this already incredibly interesting in the hmm. idea that um, whether you pass on assets in the form of like property that is then passed on through inheritance, whether you pass it on from an active business that you run today, the result can be very different. Absolutely. And even here, not being strategic, you might actually elect to wind down a business or extract profits and sell things off and move into assets that are easier to pass down so you do not pass down that burden. Even just from the responsibility of being able to run a business that someone may not Mm. be equipped for Mm. would be a reason to consider. I see keywords where I'm getting better at this asset game. (laughs) <laughs> Key reasons to consider, consider, right, mm. with your financial planner. Okay, I want to jump into a, a kind of a sidebar on this then. Being there's um, – you can – let's use an example of a property. I can pass on a property without triggering uh, capital gains tax. Is there any merit or reason that someone would do that prior to passing on? Or would that be an event where tax is triggered? So maybe I'm in my 60s and I'm still in good shape, but I want to move some assets on to my kids before I go so I can see them enjoy them. Would they be taxable events being that I haven't passed? Uh, uh, Again, depending on the, uh, let's just say if you're talking about property in this instance, I think it will come down to whether it's an investment property or whether it's uh, your uh, your primary residence. Primary residence are usually not taxable. Um, and there would be no strategic considerations there. However, if it was an investment property and you were passing that on property on, then you will certainly be liable to pay the CGT in that event. And similar would apply to shares at the same time. It's really fascinating. Yeah. It's a really interesting <laughs> thing. So if someone wanted to help their children earlier in life then, yeah, what would be a more appropriate way to do that or consider doing that? Um, look, I think I – think, um, Cash, I see, is one of the easiest assets to give uh, to the kids. Um, but obviously, keep in mind, depending on what stage of life you're on, you, you just want to make sure that you are not triggering any Centrelink issues or, or, or any of those part of um, entitlements that you get. Um, but passing on the kids an asset early on, um, you just need to make sure that you consider your your tax part of the position and what are the, some of the tax consequences that you'll be up for before you actually go ahead and do that. Um, but also at the same time, uh, what are the ways, if you were wanted to do that, what are the ways you can Im- eliminate those taxes? But, and, and most of the times when customers do come to us, we either use the the the, um, the contribution mechanism, the superannuation as to mitigation of their taxes. So, for example, if the customer was uh, about to pass on a parcel of $200,000 shares, which would sort of um, give them a CGT of, uh, as an example, $50,000, $60,000, will utilise some of their super uh, contra- concessional contribution caps, which they may have not used previously, and will sort of use that to to minimise or mitigate their taxes. 
Can I use an example on that? Because mm-hmm. there's an underlying factor. If I was to give Jack cash today, mm-hmm. which I have, right? I gave him a pineapple the other day, $50 <laughs> note. He didn't know what it was, but it was super cute. <laughs> Keep in mind he's three. Um, if I give him that pineapple, I've already paid tax on that at yep. my marginal tax rate. Correct. So the mechanism is I've earned that money, I've paid tax on it, I've yep. given that to Jack. So tax was already paid on it. Yep. It's not, a again, a free transfer in that way. However, what you're uh, alluding to in the example here is that if someone wanted to do better tax strategies within their own setup, yeah, whether it's moving money into superannuations to bring down their marginal tax rate, yeah, they could do or be more strategic with how much tax me as the individual in this example is paying, yeah, to then be able to pass on cash to Jack in a more effective manner. In that, term. yeah, look, obviously, before you purchase or structure an asset, it is important to consider the most appropriate investment structure or um, to use. There is no one solution to it. Considerations comes down to a variety of factors. Um, ultimately, who's the beneficiary, what risk you're trying to mitigate. The, look, obviously, the most common ones uh, are your super insurance policies that most individuals have. Um, they not only provide attractive tax benefit, but also the use of the non-lapsing binding nomination can pass on the asset to spouse, children, financial dependent or interdependent relationships. It is usually very hard to contest given it's a non-lapsing binding structure uh, where you have to be careful. It is in the wording of, of it. It's, it's a non-binding, non-lapsing where trustee has um, no discretion and cannot be contested. Uh, if it's a binding, if it's a non-lapsing, sorry, let me get this right. If it is non-lapsing, uh, non-binding, trustee has a discretion and can be contested. Okay, so I just want to, again, go deeper on these because there's a lot of complexity in this. And I I do hope as people are listening to this episode, this Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons it's so important to get quality advice for your circumstances because there is no one size fits all here. What works for me will be different for Ray and for Grant correct, and for you, the listener of this episode. So um, personalized advice here and getting that from quality people will make a difference. So to just bring this one back to grounding here, the idea you're talking about is there's a difference between, let's say, buying assets in our personal name versus setting up assets and in buying them in a trust. Yep. Yeah. Or even which I believe superannuation is a trust. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's just a, it's a form of an asset holding that's still under your individual name rather than a trust. Okay. Well, there you go. I uh, I learned something else <laughs> in this podcast. Right? More, more. Okay. And as we go through life, we're going to accumulate assets in those buckets potentially. Yeah. So for myself right now, I've got some property, I've got a PPR, I've got some investment properties in my own name, yep. I've got a business in a business, I've got a family trust, I've got super. Yep. Right, these are all different structures where things have been purchased. Yep. Now, the recommendation that comes, or the not recommendation, I've got to be careful with that word because we're not making a recommendation. We're not making a recommendation here. Yeah. We're just talking the suggestion about forms. Yep. Is that, or the awareness is that being they're all in different structures, depending on what assets and then also when it's executed and even what's in yep. the uh, write-up of that. So with the, I think it's called the trust deed, yep. if I'm, I'm correct here, what's in yep. the trust deed, whether it's binding or non-binding, can have an effect on how things are contested as well. Correct. So, so and this is this is the key part of it. Any, any part in superannuation where you have a binding beneficiary or, uh, that expires within the three years, and if it expires after three years, it does not have the same standing as a binding non-lapsing. So as the word suggests, binding is, is binding on the trustee to pay that person, that person only. 
as opposed to non-binding, uh, the trustee has the ultimate discretion there, whether to pay that person or not to pay that person. Right. So in this example, I've got Grant as my trustee, which yes. I'll say maybe. Oh, beautiful. I'll no. consider it. No, I'll no, take no, it no. under advisement. Right, Ray, we'll talk later. Burnt can, in, right in stone. Thank uh, you, you want this on the episode, Ray? I would like you to do a personality assessment <laughs> on Ray and see if he's uh, sorry on Grant and see if he's suitable to be my trustee. But we'll come back to that. So in this example here, if I had a um, non-binding, even if I've got things in the trust, it would be at Grant's discretion who's paid. He would get to work through if assets in that trust would go to someone. And super was the example you'd used. Correct. In a binding and non-lapsing, so this is one that recurs. It would be at the discretion that I had set previously within that. Exactly. Exactly. And okay. And that applies to super and potentially trusts as well with um, a trustee. With, with a trustee, it works a little bit differently. Um, Apologies, audience. We just had a quick technical error there. We've got everyone back on the line. I do hope that Elon saves us with Starlink one day. <laughs> I've already thrown some shots at ASIC. I might throw some at Telstra next. Let's do it. Wait, who did the NBN? Was it Telstra or the was government. it? No, that was another company. That was a just blame the government for the impact. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go with, I've got no problem throwing shots at government. I feel like that's a safe target. <laughs> totally. What are they going to do? Come on. Know, Telstra might come at me for slander. <laughs> I actually do love you, Telstra. You've done a lot, a lot of good for me. So I take it back. All right. Now, the question we kind of stopped off on that I want to go uh, slightly back to, but I think is worth a reframe nonetheless, is across our lives, it's very likely that all of us are going to be accumulating assets in different structures. And I'll go through myself as an example for now is like, I have a business, yep. so I have a company set up. Yep. I have a principal place of residence, so I have a house I own and will live in at times. We'll come back to that one. But I've got a PPR. <laughs> I've got investment properties in my own name. Yep. I've got investment properties in trusts. Yep. I've got super, and then I've also got some shares yep. in a trust. So like I've even at this stage and uh, working this out, I've got like six different structures. Yep. And it's likely that over my life from here, I may even get more structures or add things to these structures. Yeah. So, Ray, the question I'd love to look at here is, are there considerations that I need to make as I am accumulating things now yeah. for how this all plays out in succession planning? Absolutely. Um, look, I think before before you purchase or structure an, a, a, an asset, it is important to consider the most appropriate investment structure to use. There is no one solution or one size fits all, as we've sort of spoken about before. Considerations come down to a variety of factors, as in who's the ultimate beneficiary, what are the risks that you're trying to mitigate. Um, the common ones that most people have or the individuals are the, your, their superannuation or their insurance policy. And, and, and the reason I think uh, they usually, they are not only provide the good attractive tax benefits, but also the use of the non-lapsing Binding nomination can pass on the assets to spouse, children, financial dependent or interdependent. It's usually very hard to contest given that it's <coughs> non-lapsing um, binding structure. But you have to be careful. It's in the wording of it. It's a non-binding, non-lapsing where the trustee has discretion and can be contested. The key words here are binding and non-lapsing, which makes it usually very hard to be contested. All right, let, let's jump in on that because that's a really interesting idea here. So, for example, someone could have a super fund set up right now, yep. which is um, non-binding. And that would mean upon my passing in this example yep. that if Grant was the trustee, 
he would actually be able to make discretions in how things were distributed. Exactly. However, if it was binding, Grant would not have that discretion as to how the assets would be passed down. Right. And is there a default setting on someone's super fund or is this very super to super? It's very super to super. And I think this is where the key part is. Um, Most super funds, the binding beneficiaries expires every three years. And to me, that has never made sense. Uh, Why would you expire my beneficiary unless until I've chosen to do so? If something changes in my personal situation, I'll let you know. Um, But usually what I find in most of the super funds is the fact that binding beneficiary or the binding beneficiary particularly, expires every three years. Okay, so I just want to look at that. In that example, this could happen in a variety of structures. Hmm. So we need to be particularly careful, not only from, I think what I was considering is more like tax. It's like, oh, if I buy an asset in this structure, (laughs) it's like how much tax am I going to have to pay or is Jack going to have to pay if I pass it to him in this example? Where you're uh, really, I suppose, highlighting something here that, who the trustee is yep. and the expiry or if it is binding or non-binding or auto-lapsing versus auto-renewing yep. can play a massive role things into how actually things are disputed. Exactly. And again, I'll use an example. I think I'm accumulating assets in my super fund that are going to go evenly to the kids. Yep. There's a non-binding part of this and Grant as the untrusted <laughs> trustee. How dare you, Grant? How do you? <laughs> decides he's going to favour one of the children rather than the others and there would be nothing that could be done about that in that case because he's the ultimate uh, trustee here. He can make the move if he chooses. Yes, but uh, I'm not in saying that the trustee will ha- favour one over the other. It just won't be uh, Maybe. Un- unless there's a pro- appropriate legal consideration in play. It'd be very hard for a trustee to. Did you see that look on his face? <laughs> I'm not feeling confident at I'm this point, Ray. It. I'm like, hey, Jack, if you're listening to this, mate, I like sports cars and I like apartments in cities. <laughs> so you, you used another word here that I think is quite interesting as well as like contested. <sighs> yeah. Glad you picked up on that, Jelly. Yeah, so we've, we understand the idea of like binding and non-binding. Yeah. And then the other part of it is that I've firsthand experienced this and I can only imagine what goes on is that when someone passes, is that all these people come out of the woodwork or kids say Absolutely. that wasn't his, it was mine. He didn't own that, it was my thing. I like, need the house, not the car. Or <laughs> like, yep. So how are things contested and are there things we need to consider or put in place to hedge against these contestants? Oh, look, usually, and look, specifically my, with my example of working um, in CBA, um, we used to see this all the time. People used to contest wills um, and contest the estate at all times. People used to come out of woodworks and go, I knew Jack and I'd like to make a claim on the estate or he owed me money, so I'd like to make a claim on the estate. And it usually, again, like I said before, it chips away at the value of the estate and creates yeah. a massive impact. Um, so it is, it is quite vital that you have the right set of structure of will and the, um, and the appropriate legal documents to make sure that, you know, these – um, these are protected adequately. If and, I ask a question, did anyone actually successfully claim anything? Did people I, come I, out of the woodwork and get assets or is it just unfounded? I, I Look, again, I wasn't privy to that while my time in the bank, but I'm assuming there would have been. There so, would have been a, quite a bit of people who would have successfully claimed on those assets they were never entitled to. I, I reckon this would go down to like the reasonable man test. <laughs> like if you can reasonably can suggest that you did, you were owed money, like you would get, the cash yep. and it would be no different to like liquidating a company. Yeah. Right. And yep. so 
to this point, like if I've gone and written something down into my succession and say here are the, the beneficiaries, so uh, I might have two kids in this. I'm going to give this kid a little bit more than this kid yep. because I don't know. I think they're going to they're philanthropic. If I've written that into my succession plan, can the secondary child contest that, or is it if once it's burnt in stone, it's burnt in stone? Versus if it's not written in stone, that's when they can go and contest it. Uh, look, it, uh, look. My understanding is that it can be contested either which way. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Got it. So well, I it, it does not stop anyone. Later years, yeah, that's I point. deserve more. That yeah. is. That's my point. There's <laughs> so Ooh. many scenarios of that, which is like, well, how do you just pass it all down before you die, Charlie? Yeah, that's all no. I'm hearing. Look, <laughs> it sounds horrific. <laughs> the other common ones that. Um, us as advisors we use and, and we look we get this scenario from time to time right um is investment bonds and unfortunately investment bonds aren't well understood by most people look it's in asset like superannuation it's a structure that holds assets and has its own set of rules investment bonds are tax paid investments earnings are taxed within the fund and uh, they are not part of your personal tax return this is a massive benefit if you don't want to pay cgt or uh, earnings reported under your personal name. Most importantly, the withdrawals become completely tax-free after 10 years. Can you quit? Hold So can we use an example of that? And you can use Grant or I. Let's say we start buying investment bonds uh-huh. now. We yep. buy an investment bond with the intent that this is an asset we want to pass on. Yep. Now, we would buy investment bonds uh, out of – Income that's already been paid tax on it. Number Correct. one. Correct. So we, so it's earned capital. So right, I've got a million dollars here. I buy a million dollar investment bond. Yeah. Now you just highlighted something that I want to make sure I re- iterate. Is an investment bond is not included in your personal tax return. Yeah. It also has its own set of rules on what it can hold. Think of it like a super fund. Correct. It's got different things it can hold in it versus. Correct. Uh, it's not one asset type. And I imagine there's some rules around what it can and can't hold Absolutely. as well. Look, most importantly, withdrawals become, first thing you got to think about it, withdrawal becomes completely tax-free after 10 years. If your intention is to invest for 10 plus years, then your marginal and your marginal tax rate tax rates above 30%, then investment bond can provide some pretty good hefty tax benefits. Like with superannuation, you can nominate beneficiary in your, uh, in your investment bond. By doing so, you can bypass the will and have the money paid directly to the intended person upon debt. This can be an effective, cost-effective way of estate planning and intergenerational wealth planning, really. Um, but because of the nature of it, it's outside the world. I feel like we need to do a whole episode on investment bonds now. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, I'm like, there's so many questions. And I'm like looking at the time that we've recorded. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but that's an interesting idea in that you could uh, buy an investment bond with the idea of passing it down to, in this example, Jack. Mm-hmm. And if, if more than 10 years has passed, that would be a way for him to potentially access assets that have been accumulated in a very tax-effective structure, tax potentially. Rate. Yeah. And they're just, they're just bonds. They're so just, it's not like it's a structure. It's just bonds. It's, it's purely investment bonds. Got yeah. it. Got yeah. it. Got the, it. Yeah. And the beauty of it is it sits outside the will. The nomination can't be challenged. And it's particularly useful if you've got a blended family or you want to leave money to a charity, you want to leave money to a non-related party or a friend where you think that it might be contested. Interesting. So just a hypothetical scenario here. Charlie's getting into his 50s and 60s and he's looking at, well, what are some potential ways I can look at succession planning 
investment bonds would be a way to consider it if I wanted to directly get an amount. So I want to pass on exactly a million dollars with these specific assets in the most tax effective way. And I want it to go to this person. That would be a way to do it where it's uncontestable. And is there, there's no binding and non-binding here. Well, this is its own you thing. Are, you are already nominating a beneficiary in advance. It's a preset structure where the think of it like a reverse insu- life insurance policy where you've got yep. the capital and you are literally nominating a person as this person is the ultimate benefactor of that money. So what I'm hearing, Charlie, is just refinance all your properties, <laughs> move all of the refinance cash into investment bonds. When they sell the property, pay down the debt at zero CGT and Jack's home and host. <laughs> you read my mind. You actually read my mind. I'm like, this is actually interesting in how this could play out. And usually, guys, the payment process can also be faster under investment bond because there's no wait. For, you're not waiting for a probate or an administration of the estate. In need, addition, need we say more? Like- <laughs> you know when you, uh, Grant. So you know when you are. Uh, are in the airport and you're landing somewhere and there's like the line with all the plebs and then you see these people just like walk off the plane and they get like priority check-in and yeah. it's like they just go past you. It feel, I feel like what Ray is hinting at here is look, hey, doing, you know, your whole succession planning is like you're just going to put all this stuff into that long queue and you're going to have to work through there. But there's actually this little like little- priority boarding path over here or priority yes. checkout path over here. Which can be done in a different way. Is that is that a fair analogy? Well, not really, guys. I think look, it, it is one of those parts or segues that you can pass assets effectively, but by simply cashing out assets, don't forget you're also triggering off a lot of other CGT and other tax events that you need to take that into consideration. So there are ways that you would sort of use to work out um, if the assets sit within the company. The company could perhaps buy a investment bond. Oh. Just this, wait, what's the drool face emoji, Charlie? Just like this little drool. Because I was thinking, I was thinking about lines, but I was thinking about the theme park. You know those kids with the season passes, where like they, they get to the front of the line on the roller coaster and they just keep getting. I'm like, that's another great example. <laughs> now, right, I'm curious because in my example of just going refinance everything and just use the cash to throw into <laughs> investment bonds. See I'm wait, curious. wait, wait. You see the way he's laughing. He's like, that's the I can't say this, but maybe yeah, that's a, totally. <laughs> Now, I'm curious, yeah. what happens if there's debt in the assets that I'm passing down? Oh, look, obviously, the debt's got to be paid off. Um, <sighs> Even better. So, ultimately, the debt has to be paid off. But I think the key point that I, kids. I, I, I just want to touch on on the investment bond side was, look, if you've got young children and, and you have them as a beneficiary in your investment bond, you can state that you can't access the bond until a certain age. So, they don't waste the amount of money. So you limit the amount of money each in, each year to ensure they don't, you know, blow it up on on the wrong things that you don't want them to. I've even heard of investment bond was used as a family gift um, state to his uh, to this gentleman's daughter. He knew that the daughter was in a bad relationship and was concerned about about that. You know, upon his passing, the husband would claim the estate. So he instructed the advisor at that point in time to transfer the bond to his daughter after um, her retirement. So he protected the estate. <laughs> It's <laughs> fantastic. Wow. So you can just make up scenarios. You can make up scenarios like as to how you want Charlie, them. do you want to share the scenario? Go and share it. All right. Share so it. I have this uh, concern, and I know many people have this concern, is that if we give peop- if we give our children wealth too early, yeah. that potentially it will stop them from establishing any drive or grit yeah. or doing anything. They could just be, what do they call them? Trust fund babies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where it's like, cool, dad made this money. I'm just going to mooch off it and not do anything yeah. in my life. 
Now, I had this uh, idea, Ray, and it's just an idea that I was going to have a, uh, in today's dollars, Jack has to make a million dollars by 30. Yeah. Otherwise, he can never access the trust. It's like a time bomb. Yeah. So it's going to like light a fire on him to do something with his life and then he gets the trust. Right. But if he doesn't, it goes somewhere else. Yeah. And the you know, I hope people can appreciate my intention behind this as I say it. I realise how it's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the idea was this was the insurance policy against him developing skills and things in the real world. Yeah. In this scenario with investment bonds, it sounds like that would be possible potentially. Uh, it, it, look, there are a variety of things that could sort of – investment bond could solve that purpose. There's also testamentary trust. Um, you know, it's just an effective tax planning tool. Um, you know, after you die, your executive will hold the assets for distribution and various assets for the benefit of each of your beneficiaries. Your assets will not actually pass onto the hands of the beneficiaries. Uh, it just protects the assets from creditors or other parties – you know, um, for whom the portion of the beneficiary inheritance, and um, they can, you know, also protect from spouses or other creditors, and and then you can sort of directly how do you want the assets to pass down, and what parameters they've got to made to get those assets. It's a really good one around partners as well, right? If your kids with someone you don't think the relationship's going to work out. Like, oh, I'll just delay that one. That's a that's a very interesting idea. As yeah, well. it's a great idea. Yeah, you, you said something about testamentary trusts. Yeah, is that similar to an investment bond? Where no, completely separate. I'm like, it's a, it's, a, it's a trust is a structure. So you sort of yep. looking to create a structure. Investment bonds. I'm like, it's an investment assets. Um, yep. I, I do just want to come back to that question around debt. Just so if if I have a house that's worth a million dollars. And it's got a half a million dollars worth of debt onto it. Yep. That debt gets transferred to whoever takes the asset. Exactly. So if you're inheriting got the it. asset, you're also going to be required to pay off the debts within those assets. And so the banks will just happily change the names on the debt and all those things. Got it. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I imagine it's something they deal with all the time. There's probably yeah, totally. departments for this. Totally. All right. Well, I want to come uh, back around here, but I want to do a bit of a recap quickly before we go to this last point here. So. Number one, I really hope people can see the complexities that exist with this. And this is what I wanted to draw attention to is like we can often go through life with the assumption that no, 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 like it's just going to get passed on in the way I think it is in my head. And I think Ray's done an excellent job of just suggesting that that's unlikely. Like it's very unlikely and dangerous. So getting started early, um, having things in plan uh, of uh, who you want to pass things down to was point number one, what you want to pass down and then ensuring the bonding and non-binding parts are set up in a way and having a team that can do all those things become particularly important. All right, guys, apologies. We had some uh, technical errors. I think Telstra picked up on me bashing them (laughs) earlier before, Grant. (laughs) Whoopsie. All right, well, I'll land you in onto this last question here because I think it's really important. You've made many great uh, other points earlier in the episode. Are there any really common mistakes that come out for people when it comes to succession planning? Yeah. Um, Great question, Charlie. Look, the most common mistakes that we see is not planning or not getting the right advice from their financial planners, lawyers, or accountants. Look, it's worthwhile getting the structures correct um, upfront, whether it's the family trust, testamentary trust, or as recognizing investments later on um, can be not only very costly, but also in terms of fees and setting up can be very, very expensive. So can't stress enough, You've got to get this structure right um, to start um, once you start planning this out. Forgetting about taxes. So obviously people 
forget to take tax into consideration when passing down the assets or which way they're going to pass out pass down the assets so they've got to take tax into consideration whether that part of the strategy has any tax consequences um or the tax will play in a role in 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 how the um inheritance will be passed on um appointing an executor who isn't willing to act I think it's the most common one that we also see. Wait, 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 wait. We've, got to, we've got to pause right there. I loved how you looked at Grant. A bit What's up? Why am I the bad guy? If anything, I'm going to act too. I'm just, just going to say because he's the executor. He's like more like an executor. <laughs> hey, I'll lean into my role. I'm going to get it printed and put on my desk. Continue, Grant. Uh, unless you've appointed a public trustee, organised or a licensed trustee company, it is recommended that you have a suitable executor. In case um, uh, the individual you've appointed or both co-executors name are unable to or unwilling to act, so just got to make sure that you get the executors on board and wanting to make sure that they do want to act on your behalf. Um, last one is binding nominations not done correctly. I mean, I've seen this time and time over again. People have completely forgotten to um, either appoint the right structure of beneficiaries, which is the binding, non-lapsing. Um, or ensuring that they've uh, updated those binding nominations uh, in the right manner if there's been changes to the personal or financial circumstances. Huge. Do you know my big takeaway from this is much when I got into wealth building, I felt like I needed a team. I needed to establish a team to do wealth building well, and it served me very well. However, I, I get to this point and I'm now seeing that succession planning is its own team. Yep. Yep. Like it, it yep. really is something that I'm going to take on board through the same lens. So hugely appreciate you coming on to the podcast, Ray. I just think this has been a topic of discovery and I hope many people out there uh, don't fall into that category of being the unplanned ones. Like it is absolutely yeah. something we want to get on board with earlier. Absolutely. I think it's key critical to get this right from early on um, once you have the family, once you start working, once you start acquiring the assets, how do you want these assets to be disposed of? I think it's absolutely critical. All right, well, we're going to wrap this one up here, Grant. I'll let you uh, round it out. But again, Ray, thank you for coming on. We will include links and contact points in the bio. Ray is a sponsor of the show, which we're very proud of. It's thrilled to have you on the team here with us, Ray. We'll make sure for all those people that are now panicking because they're in the unplanned category, <laughs> I'll know how to find you. If you did want to get notified every single time we release one of these episodes, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter and uh, feel free to put in your details. Thank you very much again for joining us, Ray, and uh, we look forward to catching everybody on the next episode of Business and Investing.